Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. You see this? This is Mike and Mike go to the movies. (laughs) The surround sound multi-layer podcast. S-Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right. This sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Shop smart. Shop S-Mart. You got that? Yes. It's it's, uh, Mike and Mike go to the movie. (laughs) You said that already. It is. Yeah, it's true. I'm Mike Smith, and joining me, as always, is an acclaimed filmmaker making a movie about the magic of the movies. <laughs> Mike DeCrucio. How do you do, Mike? I'm doing great. I just really want you to believe and feel what I felt as a child in the 50s uh, about the <laughs> movies. There, there is like a weird wave of like filmmakers doing semi-autobiographical takes on themselves uh, in, yeah. uh, this season. We had, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be talking about a couple of them today with uh, Spielberg doing The Fablemans, James Gray doing Armageddon Time, uh, Inaritu has Bardo, Sam Mendes has Empire of Light. Uh, they're all just like doing that. <laughs> It's a weird thing. It's just a weird, like, old guys thinking about being young guys again kind of thing, you know? <laughs> I think also par- partially inspired by the pandemic and the very precarious nature of the theatrical industry and, you know, also being like, you know, movies, man. They're great. People like the movies. movies. <laughs> uh, but, yes, so what's uh, been going on, Mike? It's uh, post-Thanksgiving weekend. How are you doing? I'm doing good, you know? Um, we were living off that, that uh, Thanksgiving leftovers life for a couple of days making the turkey cranberry stuffing sandwiches that's always the best part you know sure uh drinking the cider doing all that and been pretty good you know not not much exciting stuff going on um but you know bad news is we have to go back to work and that's bullshit uh so fuck <laughs> Who all let that. that happen <laughs> yeah a full work week after thanksgiving what is this bullshit um but yeah how are you how are you mike i'm good yeah also had a similarly solid thanksgiving was uh, very happy uh had to uh, got got to relax for a few days didn't really have any work for uh, like Thursday through Saturday, so that was nice. Uh, so yeah, enjoyed it. Had a, had a good time, and also went to a bunch of movies, uh, hung out, did a lot of things, got decorated for Christmas, all that stuff. Nice, yeah. We we looked at the box for the tree, and we're like, man, maybe next week. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We actually like went to the woods and chopped one down ourselves. So there oh, was fuck all that shit. <laughs> I mean, I had to drag a tree up a mountain, so you're not incorrect on that. (laughs) (laughs) We've gotten to the point now uh, where we just have, like, a three-foot tabletop tree. Like, who are we kidding anymore? (laughs) Nobody, we're, we're, nobody's babies. We're not, sure. just, let's make it easy, you know? And I get that. I get that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But we have a tree now. We have a big real tree that we have in the house that we have to water every day uh, you know all that stuff and i mean we have to water it every day because the cat and the dog drink out of it of course uh, so yeah. it's really taking the nutrients away from this <laughs> tree <laughs> but yeah of course uh we had our holidays we have more holidays coming up i'll be in new york in a few weeks and hopefully we'll be able to do some kind of like in-person podcast once again like we did last year with the with the gang 
Hell uh, yeah. That would be nice. Uh, we're still kind of up in the air about what that podcast is going to be, uh, whether it will be a movie that uh, a few of you got to see uh, over this past weekend, <laughs> or whether it'll be Avatar, The Way of Water, because, uh, you know, breaking news, it looks like Michelle Yeoh is not in that movie, so we won't be covering it on that podcast, so we could cover it on this one. Anything's possible if we put our hearts to it. Yes, exactly. As, as the Navi would say, I see you, Mike. I see you, and I see you at the theater going to see <laughs> yes. Avatar 2 and IMAX 3D. <laughs> That famous line from Avatar, I see you. <laughs> that is probably the most famous it line from Avatar. Is. Other that, than, or Jake Sully. Or Jake I was going to say other than uh, Colonel Quaritch going, where you're not in Kansas anymore, except that's also a line from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> the most famous line from that movie is a reference to a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say Avatar, good movie. I'll throw it out there. Uh, I almost watched it yesterday, TBH. You should. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I probably will before Avatar 2, but uh, I was—I almost pushed play. I, I was almost yeah, so close. You're almost there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not sure I actually like, talked about it on discussions or anything yet, but uh, I went to go see Avatar in IMAX 3D uh, when they did the re-release uh, back in like September, and uh, I, w- I was transported, Mike. I was back on Pandora. It was great. Wow. <laughs> so it really like, I mean, I was already pretty excited for Avatar 2, just like, it's a new James Cameron movie. I'm down. Uh, yeah. But Avatar, like, I was, like, ha- I had not watched it since theaters in, like, 2009. Like, I saw it twice in theaters back then. had not seen it since. So it was a whole, whole fresh experience. I've never watched Avatar at home. You know, I've wow. never seen it at home. I'm not sure that I ever will. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pure theater Avatar guy. It's it's a great theater experience and uh, one that I hope is replicated with uh, The Way of Water, which I think it will be. Uh, there was, at, during the re-release, they put a, a, a scene from Way of Water in the credits of Avatar 1. Ooh. It's kind of like, you know, entice you like, oh, a little sneak peek of what's to come. And uh, it looks great. Uh, looks, like, looks like there'll be some cool water effects and all that kind of cool stuff. So. Sick. Looking, looking forward to that. But today we are not talking about Avatar, Mike. Maybe one day uh, in a few weeks. Yes. We will be. Today we're just doing some general discussions, talking about some of the stuff we've been watching uh, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, we have some pretty big stuff here. So we're going to get into it in just a second. But first, got to tell you that all the theme songs that you're going to hear this episode uh, were created by Kyle Cullen. You can reach for your own theme songs at kylespodcastthemes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Mac V, whose art you can find at Fearless Guard on Twitter. If you ever want to comment, Contact us and respond to something we did in the show. Uh, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod again for as long as Twitter is still around, right? <laughs> uh, or until we find a better comparable social media platform. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, jury's still out on what what is going to happen on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can hear more about that in last week's episode where we ranked our favorite internet movies. Correct. But for now, let's get into some discussions. Watch this. All right, it's time for some discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. And Mike, I need to hear about this. Uh, I need to live vicariously through you <laughs> for a little bit. This past weekend, uh, Netflix released uh, Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives Out, 
into select theaters uh, for about about 600 theaters. It only went to the three big chains, and it was nowhere near Missoula, uh, where I lived. Uh, I did not go to any of the three theaters, including the Roxy Theater or the two AMCs that are here in Missoula. That's, that's the worst part. I know it's only going to the big chains, but we have two AMC theaters in Missoula. Neither one of them was playing Glass Onion. Uh, the closest theater that was playing it, I believe, was in Boise, Idaho, which is like a maybe seven-ish hour drive. Uh, from where I am. So it was a little unreasonable to expect me to drive that, <laughs> that yeah. distance, especially in the wintertime when the roads are icy and stuff. I thought about it, but I, I thought I decided against it. So you live in New York and it was probably playing at like a hundred theaters. Near, <laughs> near I was going to say, I think there were like six or seven. Uh, no, I don't know. It was at at least, I think two of the Alamo draft houses. Um, and I assume some of the AMCs are Regals. So yeah, I went to see it at the uh, Brooklyn Alamo Draft House with a, a couple of friends on a on Friday night after Thanksgiving, like a 9 p.m. show, packed, yeah. sold out. Um, nice. And it was great. What an absolute delight of a movie. I mean, it's Knives Out, Ryan Johnson, Benoit Blanc, what do you, Daniel Craig, what, do you, what else do you need? You, sure. you need a roadmap, you know? Like, come on. <laughs> um, the, the ensemble cast is very fun. You know, I won't really go into any specifics or details about it because it's you know lots of people haven't seen it probably and i am very excited to see it again uh when it hits on netflix sit down with the family and watch it because uh everybody 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 loves knives out and it's it's a little weird thing i was thinking about it why is it i mean i know it's a knives out mystery for the brand recognition sure. but like what a dumb title that is yeah. <laughs> what a dumb subtitle that uh, is. If, if you're gonna do that like call it a benoit blanc mystery right, right? because he's the main character he's, he's the guy the that guy. you're following <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, so it's just just weird and i'm sure that's some netflix bullshit um yeah well i, I think i mean it does it say a knives out mystery when you're watching it because I, I heard it just says glass onion like as far as the title screen goes you know i don't really remember now that i'm thinking about it interesting <laughs> um uh, but yeah real fun real twisty turny exciting i i enjoyed you know the being uh led down all the red herring paths and blah 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 of a, of a, a kind of murder mystery whodunit type deal uh, so that was real fun. It looks amazing. It's gorgeous. It's grease, you know, and it's all just sure. like bright, vibrant colors, which is so funny when you watch. I watched Knives Out, I think, two days before uh, I went to see it, which is, you know, the autum- autumnal New England, like just about to be winter vibes. Uh and this is completely opposite. And I love it's it's sort of like the the like Adam Sandler thing where it's like, what if I just get my friends together and we go to Greece and we make a movie and get paid for it? Um incredible. Chef's kiss. Mwah. So yeah, yeah, great times. I think it's I think it's very different from Knives Out in an interesting way, which is pretty fun. And I don't really know if I want to like compare them. I think maybe Knives Out is a little more of a straight ahead whodunit, and this is a little more like mm. twisty turny kind of stuff. Um, so that's very fun. So yeah, uh, and of course at the draft house with all the drinks and the food and all that stuff. So we we had we had a real fun time watching Glass Onion, and I'm sure you will too when you finally get a chance to see it. When I watch it at home uh, on my couch, probably uh, which with the drinks is and the food be and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, I uh, I was really hoping that, uh, I mean, it seemed like it did really well at the box office. Like you said, it was sold out this weekend uh, when you saw it. Yeah. Uh, everybody I saw online talking about it said, yeah, yeah, my screening was like basically sold out. Uh, so it sounds like I think it opened at like number three at the box office, which it would have been number one if it had been in like as many theaters as it could have been, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, or something along those lines. I just, uh, I, I was hoping that like, hey, those numbers, Netflix must see that and be like, oh, we should keep this in theaters or we should expand it or whatever. Uh, it does not seem like that's going to be the case, uh, which is a bummer. 
<laughs> yeah, the uh, just the, like the hope, the, the inscrutable black hole that is whatever decisions Netflix makes. Right, uh, impossible to decipher. It's um, it's just so wild that like you know Netflix is a company that is like very deeply in debt, like billions of dollars in debt, yeah. and they and they found this like pipeline. We're like, oh wait. If we put a movie in a theater and it's a movie that people really want to see, it could make hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> if, if, and if you did that a few times a year, they could be out of debt, theoretically, <laughs> you know? <laughs> did you just, in, did they accidentally invent movie studios? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I feel like we're like really close to like Silicon Valley accidentally inventing going to the movies in a movie theater. Yeah. You know? <laughs> It's like anytime one of those rideshare things, it's like, it's, it's just a set route for a rideshare that comes every 20 minutes. You're like, bro, that's the bus. You invented yeah. the bus. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? I remember there was one a couple of years ago where it's like, no, here's what we do. We have this like, you know, room uh, where there's a lot of books and you can take these books, you know, back and forth and you can just put them back. And it's like, dude, that's a library. Like, yeah. you, <laughs> you created the library. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, boy. They're all yes. just coming for our money, which is weirdly the plot of Glass Onion. Uh, uh, that's what I've heard. I've heard it's actually like weirdly topical as far as all the Twitter stuff that's been happening over the last. Uh, yes. Couple. And I don't know anything more than that. I just know it's like weirdly topical. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 creepily on brand or not on brand. Uh, yeah, on topic, on point for everything that we're going through right now with like billionaires and all that stuff, uh, which I mean, I guess was also part of the the, the fun of Knives Out, where it's just kind of like the, the coastal elites, you know, right. sort of thing, which I saw somebody tweet about like Knives Out is the perfect Thanksgiving movie because it's all about finding out just how racist your family really is. Uh, <laughs> that's really the plot of uh, Knives Out. So yeah. that's pretty fun. And that kind of carries through in Glass Onion. So so yay, Ryan Johnson. Nice. Know? I am excited to check it out. Uh, hopefully, I mean, you know, fingers crossed. I think it seems unlikely at this point, but maybe it'll play at a theater near me. I doubt it. Um, maybe one day. Maybe one day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see it. Uh, it felt like everybody I know in New York was seeing it. Uh, I know a previous guest in this show, producer Colin, I think he was with you, right? Or was he? Uh... Uh, no, because he lives all the way upstate, but okay, he did go enough. that weekend. Yeah. yeah, but he saw it. Kyle, music supervisor Kyle, he saw it. Uh, Nick, Nick Wormuth has, saw it. Like, every, and My sister saw it. Like everybody I know in New York saw it. And I'm over here in Montana uh, not being being able to see Glass Onion, and uh, it's a real bummer. It's a real shame. We finally got one on you working at the Roxy, the independent theater near your house in Missoula, Montana. You know? That is totally fair because I am seeing <laughs> a lot of a lot of other stuff. Uh, so I got that going for me at least. Um, but before I get into some of that stuff, I'll talk about uh, the bigger blockbuster that I saw. The movie that is, like, I think, still number one at the box office because no new movies have been coming out. Yes, uh, and that is Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Uh, which, of course, is Black Panther 2, the sequel, uh, directed by Ryan Coogler, uh, and, of course, not starring Chadwick Boseman, um, because, of course, he passed away before filming started on this. And I think this movie is really interesting as, like, a movie-long tribute to Chadwick Boseman, while also something that has to, like, propel the story of certain characters forward and tease stuff. Like, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has to chug along and, like, introduce new concepts and all that kind of stuff. I, I do think Ryan Coogler is one of the more talented directors working in that Marvel pantheon. I mean, Ryan Coogler directed Creed, uh, which I love, Fruitvale Station, which is great. Uh, and I think he has a better visual eye than most of the kind of directors that they tend to hire. And I think Black Panther Wakanda Forever has a lot of really interesting concepts. I think there's some really cool stuff in it. And especially because like, if you're going to lose 
a main character with Chadwick Boseman, uh, at least you have the supporting cast of Black Panther to fall back on. And it's a pretty fucking great supporting cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so a lot of the movie falls to Letitia Wright as Shuri, as well as uh, Angela Bassett as Ramonda and uh, Denai Guerrero as Okoye. And they're all fantastic in this movie. And essentially it opens with, you know, this scene where you see Shuri desperately trying to figure out a way to save T'Challa, uh, who is like dying of an unnamed illness. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's like the cold open of the movie. Like the first few minutes are just like T'Challa's funeral, like over the opening credits. And it's, you know, very poignant, very powerful. But I think the movie is more interested in kind of exploring T'Challa's place uh, within this Wakandan kingdom than it is uh, cr- trying to make the audience weepy. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know like this could have been like, you know, a two and a half hour version of the see you again scene in Furious 7, you know, <laughs> like that. That could have been what this movie is. It's, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that. And I think it's, and you know, so I think it's it's touching upon the ways that like this loss has impacted every single one of these characters, as well as like you know the audience and the universe as a whole and all that kind of stuff, uh, while also introducing this new uh, villain, uh, Namor. Uh, which I was excited to see Namor in the movie as somebody who's read a lot of those like comics from the 60s and 70s. That was pretty cool. Uh, I think Tina Quarta, who plays Namor, does a pretty good job. And yeah, pretty cool to see him. They also introduce Riri Williams, uh, who is Ironheart. Uh, and I think she's actually pretty well integrated into it. Uh, like on the outside looking in, I know that it's like, well, they announced the Ironheart TV show. So it's like, oh, setting up that like she's going to be at a TV show. Right. But, but I think watching Black Panther Wakanda forever just on its own, I think she is like integrated well into the plot of the movies. It like makes sense for her to be there. <laughs> That's you know? good. She's not in like a couple scenes to be like, find out more on uh, exactly. Disney Plus. Yeah, know? yeah. And it kind of creates like a strong foundation for that character, for that TV show to kind of pick up from, which is like theoretically what I say I want with with the MCU stuff, which I think has been, you know, we're now at like the conclusion of phase four, uh, which is weirdly, as somebody described as like both the shortest and the longest phase of <laughs> the yeah. MCU, because it took place over the course of like two years, but they had like 17 different things in that time. There's like movies and TV shows and all that kind of stuff. And I think when it kind of started out, I was like, okay, well, you know, as long as they can like kind of create things that are like standalone ish, that kind of, you know, still lead into each other, but you don't need to watch like, you know, you don't, you shouldn't need to watch WandaVision to watch Dr. Strange, the multiverse of madness, you know? And in fact, yeah, you kind of do. Kind of do. (laughs) And so I I think with this, it's going to feel like, you know, I don't think you'll need to watch this movie in order to watch Ironheart, but like, it'll be like a cool foundation for the character but you don't need to. So I think it's a solid enough time. I think it's, it feels disjointed. It feels like there's a void in the center of it. It it sort of feels like the movie is like finding itself along with the characters in terms of like the loss of T'Challa. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Like, you know, just the fact that they had to write this so soon after Chadwick Boseman died and like had to rewrite the entire script and like figure it out. And so I found that to be pretty fascinating. And I think the movie does a pretty good job of paying homage to Chadwick Boseman while opening stuff up for the future. I mean, you haven't seen the movie, right, Mike? No, I have not. Okay. You'll, I mean, You'll probably watch it at some point, right? You, uh, like, eventually. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I've, I it was kind of weirded out, not weirded out, uh, surprised to not, like, really be interested, uh, which I haven't been interested much in Marvel stuff. But, like, usually for the movies, I'm kind of like, yeah, I know, like, I know I'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, but even at this point now, I'm kind of like, meh, maybe, you know? Yeah, I mean, and it also, it'll be on Disney Plus in, like, a month or something. There's such yeah. a short window with these movies now. Uh, which makes them which makes them feel less of an event, I think. Like it feels like you know something where like it used to be like you got to go out to the theater now, or it's not going to be out for you know four months, and spoilers will be out there everywhere. Uh, and now it's just like yeah, 
it'll it'll be out on Disney Plus in a month. You can watch it. You can yeah. probably watch it then. But I did like it. I think it's pretty good. Uh, it's disjointed a little bit, but it's got a great cast. Got cool stuff going on, and I'm looking forward to where they take it from here. Uh, wherever they end up taking it. I mean, it's it's going to be, I think, a really interesting, weird, experimental couple of years for the MCU in terms of like, how does this still function? You know, now we're like yeah. at the end of phase four and there hasn't really been like a clear sense of like any kind of direction where this whole thing is going, uh, which, you know, the, the every other, you know, quote unquote phase of the MCU uh, was always marked by like an Avengers movie. You know, right. it always like ended with the big team up that led to the big thing and uh, was also building up to the larger thing. And now it just kind of feels like there's a million different storylines <laughs> yep. and and they're all going in a million different directions. And so I think as somebody who does watch a lot of that stuff, I think it's interesting to see where if 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 or when they're going to tie up all that kind of stuff or if there's going to be stuff left on the floor or whatever. Um, but I also think if you're somebody who just pops in for like one or two things, yeah, that could be fine. I, <laughs> I think it's you, you have characters that are series that you like to follow and that's it. And that could be fine, too. But Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I think, is pretty good. And I think Ryan Coogler does a good job of, like, kind of bringing it all together. Uh, like, it still has that same visual eye from Black Panther. And so mm -hmm. it looks great. Uh, the costume design's incredible. The production design's incredible. Uh, so Wakanda is a fully realized place, and that's cool. But I also want to mention... The other MCU phase four thing that came out over Thanksgiving weekend, uh, which is a special on Disney Plus that I really enjoyed. And that is the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> That's got Mike Smith written all over it. Uh, yeah. So as, as you know, Mike, and I think I've mentioned this in the podcast many times, I think the best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. <laughs> Yes. Uh, which I, I've been told many times is a hot take. <laughs> uh, hmm. I, I, I love that movie. I think it's truly great. I think it's, you know, the, the pinnacle of like what the MCU has done. I think that streak of movies that the MCU had in like 2017, 2018. There's like that one year period starting with Guardians 2 where it's like Guardians 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War. That's like a solid year. That's wow. a really good year's worth of Marvel movies right there. That was that was peak Marvel. That was probably of. the peak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is my favorite. I think James Gunn is the one who like fully meshes with the MCU the best and has like fully carved out his corner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the Guardians of the Galaxy characters. And so Guardians Volume 2 is my favorite. Guardians Volume 2 also introduces Mantis to the fold. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, has her, establishes her relationship with Drax, right? They're kind of like, you know, wacky buddy kind of situation thing they have going yeah. on. Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special is a Mantis and Drax movie. Uh, it's, <laughs> it Incredible. is a 40-minute special where Mantis and Drax go to Earth in order to kidnap Kevin Bacon to get Star-Lord a present for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Actual Kevin Bacon, like playing himself? Kevin Bacon is playing himself in this. Uh, Incredible. <laughs> Who's also in uh, James Gunn's Super? Uh, so there's yes. like a connection there too. And yeah, this I really, really enjoyed this. It uh, is a great Christmas soundtrack. A lot of my favorite Christmas songs made the cut here. Fairy Tale of New York opens the whole thing. There's a Fountains of Wayne needle drop that I was very excited about. Nice. Uh, you know, and uh, it's it's really well directed. It's well executed. There's a couple of original songs in there. Uh, Kevin Bacon's really funny, and it does like uh, you know I was I was kind of reading what uh, James Gunn was saying about it, and he was saying that like you know I was able to also kind of use this to like get a few concepts out there for Guardians 3 that I then don't have to like waste time explaining in Guardians 3. Oh, uh, so you're going to have to see the Christmas special but to understand <laughs> Guardians <laughs> 
I think I think you could probably skip it. Although actually, there is like one kind of major bit of like Guardians lore, I guess that kind of gets added to it uh, in this special that you may need to know going into Guardians Three. I'm sure they'll give it like a refresher. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But uh, I'm not going to spoil what that is. But it's like a pretty kind of major thing between two of the characters. Uh, so there's that. But it's also kind of establishing like, oh, now like Cosmo the space dog is like part of their sort of team, and mm-hmm. uh, and, it's, and it's voiced by Maria Bakalova, and that's cool. Incredible. Uh, like they all operate off of nowhere now. Like they kind of purchased it from the collector and all that kind of stuff. So they have these like kind of like, you know, just uh, like status quo establishing things to kind of get you ready for Guardians 3, which is coming out in May. Uh, And I'm very excited about that one. That will theoretically be the last time James Gunn ever does a Marvel movie because he is locked into DC now for uh, the the foreseeable future, it seems like. that's Yeah, that's going to be weird. I wonder if he'll he'll come back and do stuff, but I guess not. He'll be running DC Studios or whatever it's called. Yeah, exactly. And I think he said like Guardians 3 will probably be the last thing he does uh, with the MCU. And I think a few of the characters will probably end up retiring. Like I think Dave Bautista has said like, I'm pretty much done doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> doing tracks i'm really sick of like doing the full body makeup for six hours a day you know <laughs> he's incredible in glass onion by the way i just want to put am, that in there i'm excited about that he's incredible in the guardians of the galaxy holiday special too <laughs> nice <laughs> we, he, i mean drax is probably my favorite character in the entire mcu so i was excited to see him yeah. uh get get like the spotlight in this one so uh yeah guardians of the galaxy holiday special it's a delight it is streaming on disney plus right now what else you got mike what else you've been watching um i've got a couple of rewatches um that i've been watching and i forgot about these movies when we were talking about what we're going to talk about uh off mic but um i rewatched uh recently uh one of my friends it was like a week or two ago it was like a saturday morning at like 10 a.m and she's just like i'm gonna be like in the discord that we're always hanging out in she's like yeah i got some like art stuff uh, it was mac actually she had like some commission artwork stuff to do and, and she's like guard on twitter at Fearless Card on Twitter. Uh, and she was just like, yeah, I'm going to watch Snatch also. And I was nice. like, it's 10 a.m., but okay. <laughs> I'll watch Snatch at 10 a.m., sure. It's never a bad time to watch Snatch, Mike. <laughs> True, yeah, I guess. Um, so then, which is great, you know, Guy Ritchie, classic. I uh, love that movie. And then we just rolled into uh, Layer Cake, which uh, none of the other people that had uh, that were there had seen before, which is oh. uh, Matthew Vaughn's, I believe, directorial debut. It is. Um, who produced all of Guy Ritchie's early movies. I don't know if they still are a partnership. I don't really no, know. No, they, they have not worked together in a very long time. Uh, uh, no. I, I think, I mean, I don't know if there's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think basically like Matthew Vaughn produced Guy Ritchie's first three movies, I think. Lock, Stock, Snatch, and Revolver? Ro- is that Canrola? No, that's, 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 that's later. later right? That's later. Um, but definitely Lock, Stock, and Snatch. And I, I think whatever movie he made with Madonna, I think is the... Uh, oh, yeah. Like Swept Away or something. Swept Away, yeah. Yeah, I think he produced those first three movies and then went off to direct like you know direct his own stuff and so did Layer Cake. Yeah. Uh, while Guy Ritchie kind of went into more blockbustery stuff with the Sherlock Holmes movies and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Didn't, doesn't Matthew... He does the... the, the I want to ask... Oh God, the, the, the spy movies. Kingsman. <laughs> Kingsman. There we go. Yes. Yeah. He does do the Kingsman movies now. I mean, yeah, he's, he's doing blockbusters too now. Like, yeah. You know, he did X-Men first class and the Kingsman movies. Uh, I actually still have not seen the Kingsman. I, I've been meaning to watch that. I haven't got oh, around to man. it. Man, there's one scene that makes that whole movie worth it. Uh, okay. It's an incredible dance fight scene against Rasputin. So enjoy that. <laughs> Cause it's wonderful. Otherwise that movie is just bonkers. Um, but Larry, anyway, yeah, really great movie. Uh, I remember seeing this in college, right. As I was starting to like get into cinema, you know, and it's one of those, like, sure. Oh man, look at this editing, you know, like it's just like really stylized and stuff, which when you haven't seen a lot of movies like that, it's pretty, stands out pretty well. Daniel Craig, very looking like a little baby, uh, Tom Hardy, like a little baby. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people in this. I forget 
who else actually there's a couple of people oh Comini is in it which is just sure. like oh man look at like it's just a, a weird fun co- combination of people that are always yeah. in those british gangster movies so that's is, uh, is michael gambin in this too yes that's yeah, who it was that's what i oh, thought yeah yeah and he's wonderful uh it's fun to see dumbledore just like openly threaten violence on people <laughs> You're like, you're Dumbledore. What's going on? Right. Dumbledore is supposed to secretly threaten violence on him. Right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and yeah, I'm convinced this is the movie that sort of got Daniel Craig a James Bond because he's oh, sort of is. playing. Oh, it is? Like confirmed? Like, 100%. 100%. Yeah. It's the, like, this was 2004. Casino Royale was 06. They were like casting it when this movie was coming out. And this was like, oh, this is the one. Yeah. It's incredible. And uh, there's got it ends like almost the same way as Casino Royale, which is really, yeah. I mean, like the darker version of it. But I was like, wait a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the same thing. So yeah, we watched uh, Layer Cake, and then I think the next day we were just sort of like in a crime, you know, we were just like, once you kind of get like watching a couple movies in a row, you're just like, hey, let's watch, uh, anybody ever seen Ronin? Uh, ah. So I threw on John Frankenheimer's Ronin uh, with Robert De Niro and a million people in this movie also, and sure. uh, man, what a fucking picture. It's been a while since I've watched it, and I've seen it a couple times now, and every time I'm just like, holy shit, like this is amazing. Yeah, uh, Ronin rocks. Ronin rocks. Some of the coolest car chases ever put to film, and it does the thing. This is, I think, the first time I watched this was the first time I noticed a car chase that has no soundtrack. Like, it's just the sounds of the engine and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing ever. And then I know they do that in Death proof and stuff like that and i'm sure that's commonly used but this is the first time i like noticed it and how much cooler a car chase is when there's no exciting action music in it so anyway ronin cool cool stuff there it is nice yeah ronin rules uh all right i have a few uh new releases i wanted to throw in there uh one of which is a uh, one a movie that i was very very excited about and uh it met my expectations i was very into this uh it's a new movie from steven spielberg and that is the fablemans which, uh, so Steven Spielberg directed this movie, The Fablemans, uh, which is very much about Steven Spielberg. It is a fictionalized account of, like, semi-autobiographical take on his life, uh, where it's about this kid named Sammy Fableman. He grows up and is just super into movies. Like, when he's, like, eight years old or whatever, his parents take him to the greatest show on earth. Uh, the Cecil B. DeMille movie from 1952. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes, and you know, it's the fifties. Uh, and it, then like a few years later, it, it jumps ahead to the sixties. His family is moving to Arizona and he's like there in Arizona. Uh, and he's stuck there with his family. Uh, and he just is making movies like, you know, making home movies with his friends and stuff. Meanwhile, his parents, uh, Paul Dano and Michelle Williams, uh, their marriage is like slowly kind of dissolving over the years, uh, due to a, a, any number of reasons. Uh, you know, and there's this kind of clash between ideologies here. The scientist versus the artist is uh, something that kind of gets brought up a lot. And this movie is unbelievable. I loved The Fablemans. I think it is Spielberg's best movie in like 10 years. Uh, and I think it's like in my top 10 Spielberg movies uh, of all time. Like, wow. I, I, I think this movie is terrific it is you know like watching the trailers or whatever it could be like oh yeah it's like you know the magic of the movies i kind of get it it's people making his own like cinema paradiso or Mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing uh i think it's very much more than that it is a very like tender coming of age tale with this kid um but it's also a like fully frankly realized drama with these parents that are like kind of like coming apart at the uh like 
from with each other. And Seth Rogen plays uh, Steve, uh, Sammy Fableman's uncle. Uh, he's great in it. Judd Hirsch pops in for like one incredible scene. Uh, just that's yeah. like great monologue where he's like a circus performer uh, who is like part of uh, the Fableman family and he comes in for dinner and just has this like great monologue about family and art and all that stuff. Uh, and then there is a, a cameo at the end of the movie that I, I will tell you who the actor is, but I will not tell you who he is playing. Um, it's It's been out there for a while. Like it's, it's well known who is in this, like that this guy is in the movie and that he's playing this role. But like the surprise of it for anybody out there who doesn't know, it's pretty great. So <laughs> it's I, I will tell Bob you- Odenkirk from Little Women for some reason. <laughs> he comes in and says, my little women. Uh, no, uh, no it's, uh, it's David Lynch is in this movie. Yes, I've heard this. Yeah. Uh, and I won't say who he's playing, but it's an incredible casting choice. Uh, and the last like five minutes of this movie, I think are like among the funniest of Steven Spielberg's entire career. Uh, <laughs> wow. Like it's, it's so funny and warm and heartfelt and like re- just really funny uh, and playful in a way that like is very off from what we know of Steven Spielberg. It's just really great. So yeah, the Fablemans, it's terrific. I high recommend uh, this movie. Yeah. I don't know why I don't really want to see this. I'm mean, not that I like, to, to, like I'm not avoiding it, but like, yeah, whatever. I'll see it eventually. <laughs> I don't know. why. <laughs> I don't know why I've been having that reaction to people talk about it, but I guess I just got to see it. I don't I don't know why why I would think that, you know? Yeah, it's it's great and it and it, it almost like puts like, you know, it, it's if you know about like the kind of Spielberg history and stuff, which you know, yeah, there was that Spielberg documentary a few years ago which kind of went into the, the stuff with his parents, but you know, every, everything about like his family and his and the, his parents divorce, like that's obviously deeply inf- affected him for his entire life and it's there right. in pretty much all of his movies. Uh you have that, you know, in Close Encounters and you have that in ET and AI and all this, you know, the big three Spielberg movies, that's what we call them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like elements of that, like seep into like almost everything he does. And so for him to like be tackling this head on uh, is really interesting. And it's a script that he actually co-wrote with uh, Tony Kushner, wow. uh, which this is like Steve Spielberg basically like barely ever has a writing credit on his movies. Uh, I think the last one was AI. And I think before that it was Poltergeist. Like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> like it's it's very rare that that happens. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting thing, too. So, uh, yeah, The Fablemans, I think, is terrific. Uh, I recommend people check it out. I believe it's in theaters right now. It seems like it's bombing, uh, which is a bummer. <laughs> but I, I think it's going to be streaming on Peacock in like a couple of weeks. So people can watch it there, I guess. But uh, I recommend seeing it in a theater because that's what the movie is all about, man. <laughs> I'll watch it on my phone with subtitles and no audio. <laughs> I'm going to watch it as a series of quibbies, I think. Is, yes, uh, correct. Is how I'll as do it. David Lynch intended. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, The Fablemans is terrific. And then wanted to mention uh, another filmmaker memoir movie that uh, I saw recently. Uh, also really enjoyed. It's not quite as good as The Fablemans, but uh, Armageddon Time, uh, which is a new drama uh, directed by James Gray, which uh, I... Thought was pretty cool uh, just in terms of like where this movie like takes place in the time period it takes place. It takes place like in Queens in the 60s and 70s. Like it's basically like where my parents grew up that it's like taking place and like the yeah. time period that they were growing up in. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a cool thing uh, just anecdotally. But I think it's a very solid, well-told drama. It's about this uh, young kid in a Jewish family just kind of coming of age like in the school. He meets this uh, his friend who is black and they're like kind of like the two outcasts in their school. Like, you know, they kind of get in trouble with the teacher all the time and all that kind of stuff. And eventually uh, the Jewish kid uh, 
uh, ends up getting transferred to a more prestigious like private school, and he's not really sure how to handle his relationship with his black friend, who doesn't really kind of fit in with that crowd. And it's a really terrific drama with great performances. Jeremy Strong plays the dad, Anne Hathaway plays the mom, and Anthony Hopkins is his grandpa. And Whoa. Anthony Hopkins knocks it out of the park, man. <laughs> That's crazy. He's unbelievable. Anthony Hopkins, so good in this movie. And so, yeah, I think Armageddon Time is very, very solid, a really strong, dramatic movie that, uh, and this is not like a magic of the movies memoir. It's more just like, this is what my life was growing up kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and again, semi, semi-autobiographical, so it's not like it's like exactly what happened in my life. It's just like, oh, it's kind of inspired by elements uh, of James Gray's like kind of upbringing in Queens. Um, so yeah, Armageddon Time, it's very good. High recommend. Yeah, I remember hearing about this. This came out a couple months ago, maybe, or a few weeks September, maybe uh, October. Yeah, I think maybe October. I think is probably when this came out. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw it getting some buzz on on film Twitter and stuff. So sure, uh, checked it out. Or I want to check it out. Sounds sounds pretty neat. Yeah, definitely. So Armageddon Time is out right now, as well as the Fablemans. Uh, Mike, what else have you been watching? I was trying to think of how I could relate this to Queens and growing up in the '60s and stuff, but I watched my cousin Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> um, fair enough. Fair enough. I tried. You get it. Everyone yeah. do fill in the blank. Um, yeah, I don't know. We were, what if, we were just kind of like, hey, anybody ever seen my cousin Vinny? And a couple of people I was hanging out with hadn't seen it. And I was like, well, we got to fix that. Um, Perfect movie. Uh, And it's been a really long time since I've seen this. Uh, And especially like all the way through unedited, you know, it's like one of those TBS classic kind of movies, sick on a Tuesday or whatever by Cousin Vinny's on. But yeah, I mean, I don't really need to say a ton about it other than that it's it's a delight and it holds up. And I was like kind of shocked. I thought maybe it'd be one of those like, it's a little cringe stuff like, you know, Joe Pesci humor from 1992. I was like, it might be dicey. I don't know. Um, but it's not, and it's heartfelt and it's great. And, uh, I, I know what pause attraction is because of this movie. Uh, and the, the, the delivery of, I don't know the actor's name that play that's playing the prosecutor when he's like, I identical, um, that, that has, that's a thing. That's one of the family, the decretio household quotes all the time. Uh, one of those that, and how do you like your, how do you like your grits? Regular creamy or al dente is another family classic for us. Um, nice. so this has been one of those movies that I, you know, it's just been around forever and it was, it was a delight to, to, to revisit. And, uh, I was happy. It's still very good because <laughs> um, you never know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those movies that, uh, it kind of feels like if you live in New York, you've probably seen my cousin Vinny. And if you don't live in New York, you may not have. It's like, yeah, I feel like that's part of it. You know, <laughs> I think so. I think that was the vibe I got. All the other people that I was watching with were, are not from New York. Uh, there you go. And they were like, no, yeah, I haven't seen it. And I was like, well, come on. The, the, the national treasure that is my cousin Vinny. Come on. <laughs> Uh, nice. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I actually only watched it for the first time a few years ago, and I felt like I was like, a, like I was very much an outlier. Like I, just, wow. for whatever reason, hadn't seen it. But yeah, this movie rules. It's great. Marissa Tomei won an Oscar for this movie. Like it's very what? rare for somebody to win an Oscar for comedy. You know? I don't think I knew that. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. And Marissa Tomei is incredible in this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She has that, that the whole scene of the witness stand at the end of the movie. It's like, unbelievable. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fun times. Um. And then I think I got. I only have one more. Actually. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, so this is a new movie that I think came out last week, maybe the week before. Uh, and this is a Shudder original written and directed by Noah Segan called Blood Relatives. Okay. Yes. And if you are not familiar with who Noah Segan is, he's the guy that's in all Ryan Johnson's movies. Right. Um, I, I heard he's also in Glass Onion playing a different character than he did in Knives Out. And mwah, what a chef's kiss of a character he's playing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a delight. He's upgra- he's upgraded into just like, like cameo status in Ryan Johnson. 
Johnson oeuvre. It's it's sure. very funny. It's very good stuff. And I'll let you discover that for yourself when you watch the movie. I can't um, wait. I'm excited to hopefully see Joseph Gordon-Levitt's cameo too. I assume he's in it. It's okay. He's got a really good one. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's also in it. Um, so what was I going to Oh, yeah, Blood Relatives. Uh, yeah, so I think this is um, just came out on Shudder and it's about a, Noah Segan plays a vampire who his a, like a 15 year old girl shows up uh, and is just like hey I'm your daughter and he's like I'm a vampire what are you talking like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like what and yeah he's just kind of this loner guy that like drives around in a like a barracuda muscle car through the, like the backwoods of the, of the country just kind of being a drifter and and now he's got this teenager and it's more of a, it's on shutter, but it's more of a like family drama comedy. That's just also vampires, you know? Yeah. So it's like not horrific or scary in any, in any way. There is some like kind of gore violence stuff, which is fun because it comes out of fucking nowhere, which is hilarious. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's kind of a, you know, a, a whole wholesome heartwarming little family movie about, you know, kind of get, getting over your trauma or bonding together over that. And, and, uh, it's 85 minutes, I think. So like right in the sweet spot for this kind of movie where you're like, yeah, I can give you like, you know, it's, you're not going to overstay your welcome for this movie. And yeah, it's pretty good. And it's fun too. Cause the whole thing that he's, uh, he, he's Noah Segan is like a hundred something years old. They say it at one point, I forget he's over a yeah. hundred years old. So like, of course he's like, it's old hat for him, uh, being a vampire and his, his daughter is 15. So she has no idea what she's doing and this, like all that stuff. And then like, also what about boys, you know, and like, sure. All that shit. So that's really fun. Um, but the interesting thing is that he's a, uh, his character is a Jewish man from like Eastern Europe, uh, like from 1890 or whatever, however old he's supposed to be. So like he's constantly like speaking, like saying like, oh, and like doing Yiddish stuff, but it's Noah Zegan as like a 30 year old man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny, uh, that juxtaposition. And, and I think that's like, I don't think I've ever really seen that before. Like a, a like a Jewish vampire character, like specifically from that era, you know, kind yeah. of doing that thing. It's always, you know, Dracula or whatever, and or like sleek and sexy and like uh, interview with a vampire or whatever. And this is just, he's just kind of like an old Jewish guy, uh, which is really fun. So yeah, that's, uh, that's Blood Relatives on Shudder. Yeah, all right. Blood Relatives. Uh, I have not seen it and uh, I saw that you tweeted about it and Noah Segan liked your tweets and Karina Longworth also liked your tweets, I think. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, there's a, there's one shot which, um, you know, for podcast lore, Brick is one of my favorite movies. Uh, yeah, Brick is and great. There's great movie. Uh, and there's one shot in uh, Blood Relatives where it's someone sitting on a kitchen table and there's a very, very heavily in focus, like right in the middle of the frame, chicken-shaped pitcher like that you'd pour juice out of. And the only other time I've ever seen that is in Brick when they're right. at uh, the Kingpin's like mom's house or whatever. And she's like serving them cookies while they're talking about dealing drugs. Um, so that has to be like a deliberate reference to Brick, right? That's what I thought. Yeah. So I took a screenshot of it and sent it to Noah Segan and said like, I think chicken pitcher cinematic universe. And he responded with the screenshot from Brick with the chicken pitcher in it. And I was like, yes, yes I did it. <laughs> um, so that was very fun. Yeah. And then a bunch of people in Karina Longworth liked it from uh, you should, must, you must remember this. Yeah. You so. must remember this. Married to Ryan Johnson as well. Yeah, there it is. Uh, yeah, so Karina Longworth and Noah Segan, come on the podcast. <laughs> Best friends, yes. That would be great. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so that is uh, Blood Relatives. It's on Shutter right now. And then I have a few more new ones to uh, talk about and then a few more rewatches before I start wrapping this up. The Banshees of Inishirin. I saw that uh, recently. <laughs> I uh, which, know, I, which I have to say like in, in my most Irish accent possible. Like The That's Banshees awesome. of yeah. Inishirin. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, so this is the new movie uh, written and directed by Martin McDonough, uh, the writer and director of In Bruges, also uh, Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And 
this is a movie that uh, actually reunites the Bruges team. So it's Colin yes. Farrell and Brendan Gleeson once again uh, with a Martin McDonough script. And I really liked this. Uh, this takes place in like 1920s uh, Ireland, like an, uh, but not even like the mainland of Ireland, like an, an island off the coast of Ireland. Uh, and so there's like civil war and unrest happening on the mainland. But for these like folks on this isle, it's just, you know, they don't really do anything. They hang out <laughs> and like there's yeah, a few houses. There's one pub. They mostly tend to their animals. They go to church on Sundays, and that's their entire existence. <laughs> that's Perfect. That's what they do. And Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson have been best friends for a very long time. But at the beginning of this movie, Colin Farrell discovers that Brendan Gleeson no longer wants to be his friend, and he cannot figure out why, and it's driving him insane. Uh, and- this is basically the plot of In Bruges. <laughs> Uh, yes, without the mafia stuff, but like, yeah, Uh. (laughs) yeah, so Brendan Gleeson no longer wants to be Colin Farrell's friend, and they're like best pals, he can't figure out what's going on, everybody on the island is like kind of, like, enraptured by this, like, kind of struggle between the two of them, uh, because there's nothing else going on on this island, and so everybody's just, like, kind of, like, wondering what the hell is happening, and Brendan Gleeson essentially says, like, I only have a few more years left of my life, probably, I want to spend that time making art, making music, and, you know, I want to be remembered after I die, uh, and if I, like, and you're a very dull person, Colin Farrell, and if I (laughs) spend my time listening to you prattle on about your donkey for two hours, I will end my life without having created anything of notes uh, wow. uh, is essentially what it is. Uh, and so this just kind of continues to escalate throughout the movie uh, into some really insane stuff. But it's also stuff where it's like it's that like kind of restrained Irish emotionless kind of thing. And as somebody with a very Irish family, uh, I'm not going to go into spoilers about what happens in this movie, but everything that happens in this movie, I could see happening in my family somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I could see it happen down the line somewhere. But yeah, but Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, both terrific in this. And the script is really well written. Also got great supporting performances from uh, Carrie Condon uh, as Colin Farrell's sister. And Barry Keegan is in this. Uh, you know, the the kid that Killian Murphy killed in Dunkirk. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. As we like to call him on the podcast. And he's Spaghetti just playing like, guy. Yeah, spaghetti guy from Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, and he's like a, a wild card on the island. He's giving like a really weird performance and it's pretty fun to watch. So yeah, The Banshees of Inishirin, very solid. I think it's probably Martin McDonough's best movie since In Bruges. Uh, and yeah, well worth checking out. Nice. Was was Perry Keegan the guy in the, the kid in the Lobotomy movie with uh, Jeff Goldblum? Uh, no, you're thinking of, um, what was the name of that movie? Uh, the, yeah. uh, you know, the, the one, the, uh, the, Lobotomy the, the mountain, the mountain, the is, mountain, the mountain. Now that was, uh, I think that was Ty Sheridan, wasn't it? You're right. Yes. yes. Cyclops himself. <laughs> America's very key. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, but Banshee's of Inishirin, it's quite good. Uh, also wanted to mention that I saw Decision to Leave, uh, which is the new movie from director Park Chan-wook, uh, which, uh, mm-hmm. had, who hasn't made a movie in a few years. I think his last movie was The Handmaiden, which is terrific. I recommend on that. Uh, he also, I think he directed like a mini series on AMC that aired a couple years ago as well, but I've not watched that. But Decision to Leave is a very solid uh, detective story. It's a mystery thriller uh, about this uh, detective in South Korea who is investigating the death of this uh, man who fell off a mountain and he thinks his wife may be involved in the, his killing. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of ruled as a suicide, um, but she may have had something to do with it. Uh, and so he's investigating her while at the same time falling in love with her. Oh, a tale uh, as old as time. <laughs> 
And so uh, it's really about this kind of push and pull with this detective who is investigating this murder, potential murder, but also, you know, he's dissatisfied with his own uh, marriage and he's trying and he's just like he's an insomniac. He can't sleep and he's just like kind of constantly stalking her. And then she starts to take notice of him and they kind of develop this like weird relationship. And then there's a moment about halfway through the movie where without going into too much spoilers, it it kind of turns into hot fuzz. <laughs> Huh. Uh, and by, by that, I mean, there's a moment where this guy, he's like, a, I, I think he's stationed in Seoul and in South Korea, big city, mm-hmm. right? A lot of murders. He's used to that kind of thing. Uh, and then about halfway through, he gets transferred to like a very small town with a very inept police force. My God. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is like hot. <laughs> this is the yeah, same yeah. thing. But yeah, decision to leave, I think, is very, very solid. Uh, it's a really good, I don't I don't think it's uh, among Park Chung-wook's best. I think, you know, he, I mean, he had Old Boy and he had Stoker, I really like. And The Handmaid's incredible. And this feels like a really elevated crime thriller, like a pretty standard crime thriller that like feels elevated by Park Chung-wook's direction. Cinematography is amazing. Uh, and yeah, decision to leave. It's good stuff. Nice. Yeah, I've he- I heard about this also at Park Chung-wook and I was like, okay. So I, yeah, it's, I don't know where it is around by me. I, I believe so. I, I think it's being distributed by Mubi, um, and so <laughs> and so it played in theaters for a few weeks. Um, but I believe it's going to be streaming on Mubi beginning like December 9th or something. Sick. Uh, so if you got Mubi, there you go. <laughs> I like just canceled my Mubi subscription. No, <laughs> like a couple, like a month or two ago. Yeah, I don't know. I signed up for some. They had like some. I think it was six months for five dollars or some insane shit. And I was like, Yeah, yeah I'm in. Uh, and I watched like three movies on it in those six months. And I was yeah. like, I'm just gonna. What am I wasting my time for? Fair um, enough. I I used to have Mubi like when or around the time they maybe started or like a year after they started and it was back when like they only would ever have 30 movies on their service that's um, still a thing that's still a thing okay I, I thought they like kept the older stuff now or whatever reason oh like hmm you know we'll i don't know to, we'll have to look into it I, I i know for a while i i think it was like there were like a new movie was added every day but a new movie was taken away every day so you had 30 days to watch whatever it was i think just keep adding a movie every day now they don't get rid of the stuff like right away oh uh, maybe that's what it was because they definitely had like a calendar schedule thing on the homepage. page so gotcha. maybe that's what it is yeah uh, fair enough all right but yeah decision to leave will be available on movie soon uh and yeah people should check that out uh also wanted to mention a few rewatches that i've had uh, at the roxy theater recently uh one of which is hard-boiled uh which i watched in 35 millimeter at the roxy as part of the passport to action series uh, uh, which uh, we've been doing all month long. It's the uh, month long series where we're focusing on foreign action films. So naturally, I was very excited about that. And uh, earlier in the month, we played The Raid, uh, which I went to, and that was great. Uh, we also played Police Story 1 and 2, uh, which, which I had to miss that, and I was kind of bummed about. <laughs> but at least it wasn't Super Cop. Yeah, because I just watched that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or that, you know, get to see that at a theater. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, that would have been great. I was, I was actually like kind of trying to get them like, what if the double feature instead was Police Story 1 and 3? <laughs> what if 1 and 3? Because Police Story 2 is like the weakest one. We can all agree, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, hard-boiled. Uh, this movie is still incredible. Uh, and I, it had been like five years since I watched it. Uh, yeah, John Woo's action masterpiece, Chow Yun-Fat. If you have not seen hard-boiled, man, go watch hard-boiled. It's like surprisingly hard to find though. Yes, that's also the thing. I think I watched it. I think I, I still have my Netflix disc plan and I have not gotten back to that in a while but i think i watched it with my netflix disc plan and like they had a dvd of it there um so that was the way to watch it for me um but i think the dvd is out of print uh so i don't know if it's still on netflix or what uh, like the netflix thing or whatever yeah yeah it's like available online sure air air quotes you know methods methods yeah (laughs) uh but for for normal folk it's kind of it's kind of tough to find 
Right, which is why I was so excited that we were showing it at the Roxy and on 35 millimeter. Yeah, uh, that's fucking pre- awesome. Pretty great. Uh, so yeah, Hard Boil got to watch that again. Also, just recently got to watch Run Lola Run in 35 millimeter, mm. uh, which I had not seen in like 10 years. I watched, and I'd only seen that once. I'd seen it in college, like on my laptop screen. Like I was just like, I heard this was good, and I think I like stole it. Like I think I torrented it. Yeah, um, you know, and I'm not like I don't really know how to torrent. <laughs> Uh, but it was one of those things where like I found a website that had like a free stream of it and just like click here we go I probably gave my computer a bunch of viruses but whatever and so yeah Run Lola Run this movie's incredible have you seen Run Lola Run Mike? I think maybe a long time ago on HBO when I was too young uh, to form like movie memories so I don't know anything about it or I don't remember anything about it Uh, well it's a Tom Tickford movie Tom Tickford who co-directed Cloud Atlas with the Bukowskis and starring Franca Potente in the lead role as Lola who is uh, from the Bourne movies Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a German film about a girl who uh, gets a call from her boyfriend that uh, basically is like, if he doesn't get $100,000 in 20 minutes, he's going to be killed. Uh, and so she has to run <laughs> to, <laughs> to try to get $100,000. Uh, and the thing about the movie is that it shows you multiple timelines of like things that could happen. In oh. So the, the movie starts, it has that like kind of inciting incident. Uh, she decides, okay, I got to go talk to my dad. He can get me the money. And she runs to the bank where her dad works. And then like, 20 minutes past, she gets to that like sequence. She meets up with her boyfriend. Something happens. And then the movie's events restart again. And you see like how this could have gone differently. Interesting. Uh, and so it, it kind of like all leads up to this kind of culmination in the third timeline that they do where it all kind of comes together and like everything kind of like, you know, and, and it almost seems like there are moments where it's like she maybe remembers the stuff that happened in the other timelines. Like, <laughs> like oh, there's like that's cool. weird, like phantom kind of time stuff happening here, uh, which is pretty wild. And just the, the movie is so propulsive and energetic and the soundtrack's incredible. Uh, and so, yeah, Run Lola Run. Uh, and it's like 80 minutes long. It's like a really quick watch. This is one that, uh, you know, I was excited about the Passport to Action series at the Roxy. My girlfriend was less excited about it because uh, <laughs> she's not really into action movies all that much. Um, but I did take her to Run Lola Run because I was like, I think you might like this one. And she did. She actually really liked it. Um, so, nice. yeah. It's very good. Right, run little run. It's great. Yeah. The one thing I thought, I mean, I guess it sort of is. Uh, the one thing I thought I knew about it is that it's like in real time, quote unquote, one of those kind of movies. Right. Uh, but I guess it's the same 20 minutes a couple times in a row. <laughs> Basically, so it yeah. sort of is in real time. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so let's run little run. Also at the Roxy, I got to watch this movie for the first time. Uh, and that is Howl's Moving Castle, directed by Hayao Miyazaki, which uh, I have seen a few. I've seen a lot of Miyazaki movies now. Um, but the reason I've seen them all is because I've seen them all on the big screen at the Roxy. Yes. <laughs> like uh, when I first moved to Missoula in 2018, the Roxy was doing like a two month series where they were showing all of Miyazaki's movies. And so that's where I saw Kiki's Delivery Service. That's where I saw Porco Rosso. Uh, I saw um, Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke and Ponyo and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I had to miss Howl's Moving Castle. And so I missed it then. But we played at the Roxy this past weekend, sold out. It was packed, a packed crowd. And yeah, this movie's a delight. It was just so much fun. Uh, if you have not seen Howl's Moving Castle, it's about a girl who gets transformed into an old woman by a witch uh, mm-hmm. and then tries to find Hal, this like, you know, kind of famous wizard, trying to kind of help her out of her situation. And she ends up in his moving castle and like is kind of like the caretaker of this moving castle with Hal and this young kid who's learning how to be a wizard. And then there's other like characters that kind of jump in as the movie goes along as you have this like really wild group of people that you have at the end of the movie. Uh, we watched the English dub of the movie, which has Billy Crystal as like this talking piece of fire. Uh, <laughs> it has Christian Bale as Hal. It's, it's good 
stuff. I really enjoyed it. So Howl's Moving Castle, uh, it's a Miyazaki movie that I feel like is less beloved than other Miyazaki movies, but it's still great. High recommend. Interesting. I, I thought it was always like the one. Well, I guess really Totoro is the one that I see the most of. Sure. But yeah, I actually haven't seen Howl's Moving Castle. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I haven't seen most of Miyazaki's stuff, so I got I to gotta check that out. And actually, this reminded me, I forgot that I was going to talk about um, an anime show that's oh, yeah. out, that's on right now called uh, Chainsaw Man. Very different from the vibe of Miyazaki. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, which, yeah, maybe throw some Miyazaki's on the Make Mike watch list uh, going forward. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll just uh, we'll just put Miyazaki and we'll just plug in whichever one I haven't seen yet. <laughs> Anytime Fair you enough. Pick it. Yeah, I feel, um, I feel like the one for a lot of people is like Spirited Away. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I was gonna say the like big three are like Spirited Away, uh, Totoro, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, I guess, and and I guess also House Movie Castle. Um, yeah, Kiki's is great. I, for for me, my favorite is Princess Mononoke. That's the that's the one that's like, man, this movie is incredible. This rips. I have a suspicion that that would be the one for me also. Okay, um, I think I have I think I have thrown that into the Mike Makes Mike Watch pile before, and it was it was not. Picked. Wasn't picked. It. Wasn't mm-hmm. picked. But yeah, interesting. But yeah, so House Moving Castle and Chainsaw Man. Go check oh, yeah. that out too. <laughs> yeah, Chainsaw Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is this is currently still airing right now. And a couple of my friends were like, I think this is up your alley, Mike. And I was like, okay, well, let me check it out. And it's basically about this guy who it's at the start of the first episode, he's like so in debt that he's talking about, like, man okay, when I sold my kidney, I got this much money. And when I sold my eye, I got this much money. And like, he's like, okay, if we do this job and this job, blah, blah, blah. And he's, he's uh, it's a world where like devils exist and like come into the world, but they're like mundane stuff. Like, oh, this is the coffee devil. You know, it's like kind of also tongue in cheek and stuff like that. And he has made a deal with this little chainsaw dog thing that uh, they'll hunt devils together and that'll be how they make their money. And he gets, okay. he gets, uh, it's insanely violent, like hyper gory because it's a chainsaw. So you can imagine what kind of like carnage that would be. Um, and at the end of the first episode, things go wrong and he is going to die and this little chainsaw devil and their like bond is so pure that they, he like merges souls with him and grants the main character like a rebirth, except now he has a ripcord in his chest. And when he pulls the ripcord, chainsaws come out of his hands and also his head. Uh, <laughs> and he just turns into a, like, you know, a, a chainsaw man. Uh, and he just is now the greatest devil hunter ever because he's got right. these chainsaws. Um, and then he gets recruited by like this devil hunting organization and it turns into anime bullshit, you know? Um, and it's real fun, real, real like uh, juvenile, which is pretty goofy because he's been so poor his whole life. He's never been around other people because um, he's just like living in a shack in the woods, you know? So it's all about him not knowing how to interact with people and like eating things that are not bread, like more than bread. It's a very big deal for him. Yeah. Uh, so it's like lots of shit like that and and um, de- de- violent devil hunting uh, shenanigans. So yeah, I've been, been having fun with it. I think there's only, I think six or seven episodes right now. And of course it's the perfect, you know, they're 20 minutes long or whatever it is. Sure. So that's fun. So you can like watch one or two of those a night. So yeah, Chainsaw Man, check that out. Nice. Chainsaw Man. And where can people watch that? You know, places. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, probably, I think it's on Crunchyroll for like okay. the, real, the real way. Um, but yeah, Chainsaw Man. <laughs> All right, Chainsaw Man. Uh, all right, I have one more rewatch that I wanted to uh, mention here, also at the Roxy Theater. The day after Thanksgiving, the Roxy for Trash Vault played Army of Darkness, uh, yeah. which, uh, of course, is the third movie in the Evil Dead trilogy, directed by Sam Raimi, a movie that I have seen probably 50 times. <laughs> 
in my life. I just watched this like endlessly in high school and college. Like it was just one of those things where I discovered the Evil Dead movies, like a friend showed them to me and I got really into them. And then one of the first things, like the first friend I made at college that eventually became my roommate, EJ, the first thing we ever like bonded over was our shared love of the Evil Dead movies. Uh, and Army of Darkness especially was the one that we like talked about the most. Like I, I, the Evil Dead, the original is probably my favorite of the three, but Army of Darkness is definitely the one that I've seen the most time. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely also the most easily easy to watch. Like, oh in, sure, in terms of a good time, you know. Yeah, in terms of like getting your friends into it, uh, yeah. this would be the one because it's like there's just so many like wacky action sequences, so many funny bits. Because like the Evil Dead series, like kind of transitions from like real horror to comedy horror to just straight up Three Stooges comedy with Army of Darkness. Yeah. Uh, and it's what a delight this movie is. And seeing it in a packed crowd on the big screen was really fun because I've never seen this in the theater before. And yeah, it was just so great. People, I mean, I, I genuinely think the, uh, the scene in Army of Darkness where Ash is in the graveyard and uh, he's just taken the book and all the skeleton hands start coming out of the ground and start yeah. like doing the three stooges like wacky, like, you know, poking him in the eyes and stuff. And then the the funniest moment ever captured to film. I think this is the funniest thing ever is when all of the skeleton hands all come out at, from every corner of the screen at the same time and punch Ash <laughs> like, yes. as he's screaming. It's oh, man, it's so good. <laughs> Uh, what a delight Army of Darkness is. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to throw it out there because I, and it also had been like a few years since I watched it. You know, I think that maybe helped too because it's been like, you know, I, I must have like worn it out at a certain point. Yeah. Like, I, I think the last time I watched it, I was going through Letterboxd. The last time I saw it was like 2016 and it was probably like, you know, Ash vs. Evil Dead season two is coming back. So I got to do the rewatch, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, it had been at least like six years since I had seen it. So it's like, OK, it, it feels like fresher to me now than it did probably back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a new Evil Dead movie coming out, right? Evil Dead Rise, which was going to be an HBO Max original, is now going to be in theaters. Wow. Incredible. Yes. Uh, which is w- such a weird thing. Like, uh, so we were just th- we were talking about the weird theater thing with Glass Onion and Netflix uh, before yeah. and how like Netflix seems very averse to putting their movies in theaters. Meanwhile, HBO Max has two movies that they announced as like HBO Max originals, uh, Evil Dead Rise and the new Magic Mike. Uh, mm-hmm. and, they, and they've now like switched those to being like, no, these are going to go in theaters. We want to we make money off of these. Wow. Uh, so yeah, we're different strokes for different streaming services, I guess. But there it is. So yeah, Army of Darkness, it's great. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Evil Dead Rise. So let's see, see what that's all about. It's not Sam Raimi directing it or anything. Like he's producing, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it'll be like the remake, which the remake's pretty good. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that in a long time, but I think most people like that now. have come around on it and be like, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, I, I was pretty, uh, I feel like it, everybody's always said it was kind of pretty good like i feel like it, it yeah. always had a decent reputation uh and i was always like the sourpuss who was like yeah you know but it's no evil dead like it's not <laughs> right. it's, it's not my evil dead um <laughs> but it, but i do I, I did like the remake that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah uh, I, i'd be curious to see if it like follows up on the remake at all because I, I don't think jane levy's in this one uh what a jane, jane levy's the opportunity star if not yeah uh yeah i i always thought it would have been cool and i think they had talked about doing this uh where it would have been like an evil dead movie that brought in like you know ash meeting jane levy's character character mm. uh, and like them fighting the demons together or whatever. I had also thought there was like a, a potential thing a long time ago, like a rumor. I'm not sure if this was like a real thing they were going to plan on, but like a drag me to hell too, where it turns out it's also evil dead four. And like Justin long has to go to Ash to try to get his girlfriend out of hell from the end of the movie, Incredible. <laughs> which would have been like, if that existed, 
man, what a world that would have been. You know, what the, a picture. Al- the alternate timeline where that happened is probably like a utopian society. <laughs> I bet, I, I bet Musk didn't buy Twitter in that timeline. They, they solved climate change right afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> correct. But yeah, Army of Darkness, it rules. So I wanted to throw that out there. And then just one more thing I wanted to uh, kind of briefly mention before we start wrapping this up. And we have talked about this streaming service a few times on this podcast now because you introduced me to it. But uh, I've been watching a lot of Dropout recently, Mike. Uh, nice. You know, I was watching a lot of it right after you left uh, when you like installed a Dropout of my TV and was like, my work here is done. And you faded <laughs> away. Uh, <laughs> just turned into light like at the end of powder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so you you disappeared, dropout was on my TV, and so I was watching a lot of it then. Uh, kind of fell off it a little bit, I was watching, okay, you know, I watched a lot of it and all that, and now I, I've just had a day where I was like, you know what, I got nothing, to, I got like 20 minutes to kill, and I don't really have anything else to watch, I'll put on an episode of Um Actually on Dropout, and so ended up watching that, and then just kind of got back in the zone with Dropout, and was watching a lot of Um Actually, I was watching the rest of uh, Make Some Noise, uh, the improv show, which is a lot of fun, and Play It By Ear, I've been watching a lot recently. Uh, which mm-hmm. uh, that show just started pretty recently. And so I think that season's still going. Is, it, is that season still going? No, that was a, I think only six episode, like okay. very limited thing they did. Fair uh, enough. But yeah, that, that play it by ear got all my friends into off book. So we've been like one of my, he's one of them subscribed to the Patreon where they do videos of the nice. episodes. So like we've been watching the videos for off book now. It's just like a spiraled into a whole thing. And I was like, I feel like it's 2015 again. Like, <laughs> just all about the improv podcast. Yes, absolutely. But uh, play it by ear is great. It's uh, the musical uh, improv show based on off book with Jess McKenna and Zach Reno. It's terrific. But what I really wanted to mention is that uh, I think my favorite of the shows on Dropout is Game Changer. Yes. Uh, which is the show where it's a, you know, a, a game. Uh, it's the show where the game changes every single episode and uh, different comedians are playing every single time. And Game Changer just returned for its new season, which is why I wanted to mention it. Uh, so, yeah, I think season five or six or whatever it is. But the first episode, which is a sequel to a previous Game Changer episode, uh, was super funny. And uh, yeah, it's great. And I, I believe there's a new one airing tonight, actually. So oh. uh, I, I think it's like every other Monday, there's a new episode of Game Changer uh, for the season. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to mention that because this Game Changer is truly hilarious. And like, I, I it's the one that like I I get really excited about whenever there's a new episode that I haven't watched yet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, that that episode is great, and yeah, that's definitely the like the gateway drug. A game changer is definitely like the gateway drug to drop out shows because you're like, no, it's college humor, but it's like this now. Um, yes. <laughs> instead of sketches. Very, very fun. Yes, yeah. So I wanted to mention that and uh, that, I believe, is going to wrap things up unless you wanted to mention anything else, Mike. Um, was there anything else? Oh, Mythic Quest. I started watching Mythic Quest Season Yay! 2. Um, finally, uh, it's funny, we both are ending on things that we made each other watch when I, when I was in Missoula. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, season three just started airing or a couple weeks ago, but I'm on season two. Yeah, and um, I, I have been watching season three and it is also very good. Yes, the thing that Mythic Quest, the thing that makes Mythic Quest stand out so much to me is how like, gut busting funny it is but also i cry at the end of every episode and i don't really know how they do that (laughs) but like every time somebody just like hugs wistfully and i'm like no (laughs) like just demolished every time um yeah very fun and i'm glad that i've been watching it and i'm I'm glad to keep going and i'm hopefully i'll catch up eventually one day yeah, absolutely. I think as far as just like the satire of like the video game industry, uh, it's it's something that was like we I feel like we've been needing something like this for a while and uh, there hasn't really been like a suitable kind of version of it. Yeah. Uh, and this is great. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Mythic. <laughs> There's a really weird thing about, though 
with that where it's like it's also produced and funded or whatever by Ubisoft, which is like sure. one of the bad guys in the yeah. like video game industry. <laughs> so like it's not, I don't know. I guess we'll see if they address the stuff that Ubisoft is accused of uh, at some point because it's some pretty bad stuff. Sure, um, fair enough. But they're but they're always like making fun of like you know the like the egotistical creative developers who yeah. are like making the artist crunch for like eighteen hours or whatever it is like that that kind of thing. That's always like a recurring bit in Mythic Quest, yeah. uh, which is very very funny. And then uh, the new season really gets into uh, NFTs in a big way, which is oh man, it's gonna I be fun can't stuff. Wait. <laughs> to see what Brad does with that. Cause there's one season or one episode or whatever at the beginning of this season where Joe, one of the assistants, who's just like a heartless psychopath, uh, leaves whatever team she was on and joins monetization. Yes. Uh, and Danny Pudi is telling her like at the, at the end of your training, you will try to devour me. And if I've prepared you, you will devour me and win. But if, if I have failed you, I will devour you. And it's like this really like dark, <laughs> intense thing. And they're just like, yeah, but well, this guy's a pussy, right? Uh, anyway. And they like just walk out of the scene. Uh, <laughs> Wonderful. Good stuff. I love uh, the writing. It's it's terrific. So yeah, Mythic Quest, uh, it's airing season three right now. Mike's watching season two. And uh, yeah, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's uh, discussions episode. We did it. We talked about all the things. We talked about all the things. There are no more things. <laughs> Till next it, week. Let it be known, movies are done. Uh, <laughs> the Fablemans closed the book. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about all the content. Exactly. Uh, all right, Mike, where can we find you online this week? Uh, you can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, you can do that at our Kofi page, which is Kofi.com slash Mike and Mike Pods. Plural because we have two podcasts, but also Mike. Do we need to figure out uh, our Mike makes Mike watch? Oh yeah, yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> <laughs> I almost, almost forgot about that. Yeah, okay. So uh we are gonna be doing a Mike Makes Mike Watch next week. Uh, which means that I'm going to make Mike watch something. He's going to make me watch something. Uh, we each have lists of stuff that we could choose from. Uh, so usually how we do this is we, we like you pick three, I pick three, and then the person picks one out of those three, right? Right, okay. correct. So do you have three for me to pick from? Sure. Uh, well, first, a clarification. I have The Great Escape on here. Have you still not seen that? I've seen The Great Escape. Yeah, okay. I don't know I've, why I, that's I, on I, I saw The Great Escape years ago. I don't know what... Uh, <laughs> oh, maybe that was a different Mike Smith. Um... <laughs> Or okay. or you might meant to write a different movie. You meant to write like The Great Outdoors or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> let's see. For you, must pick between, I mean, hey, let's go with the recent additions, Brick Mansions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the Net, the Sandra Bullock, which we talked about last week that you never seen it. Right. Um, and then um, recently, uh, Albert Puyin, uh acclaimed uh, cult action movie director just passed away recently and I saw lots of tributes uh, people online and that reminded me that I saw at one of those Alma Drafthouse marathons that we always used to go to that the I think it was the 90s mega action crazy I forget what they had some kind of goofy title sure. uh, 90s action marathon and uh, that is Nemesis which is a movie that I watched there and it was like oh this is where the Matrix came from <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's just lots of that kind of aesthetic stuff that's from the late 90s early 2000s you know latex robots machine guns sure uh, so yeah so that got me wanting to watch the watch nemesis again so so you got brick mansions the net or nemesis all right i think out of those three and you said nemesis was on peacock right yeah that seemed to be around i didn't look at any <laughs> the other two okay i i think nemesis is the, is the one i yes, feel like good yeah you because know, I, I don't think i've actually seen any of albert pune's movies uh you know and there's a lot that i'm like Seems pretty cool. Yeah, I know who directed Cyborg with uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. Uh, I've I've been hearing a lot this movie called Mean Guns, uh, which sounds really cool. He also directed the original Captain America, like the 1990 version. Um, wow. So yeah, there's that. But yeah, so I, I will watch Nemesis. I choose Nemesis out of those three. Perfect. All right, and then uh, for my for your watch, 
Man, okay, so what should I do, go with here? Uh, okay, <laughs> I, I guess I could do Princess Mononoke. You could. could. Could throw that in there. That is on the list here. Okay, I, I think what I'm going to do, you're going to have to choose between Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping, uh, uh-huh. which I've thrown in there a few times and has not made the made the cut yet. I'm also going to say Batman 1966, Batman the movie, uh, okay. starring Adam West, uh, which is a terrific time. High recommend on that one. I've been saying high recommend a lot this, uh, this episode. I don't know why. Because high recommend I, on high recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I just like so many things, Mike, and I want everybody to watch them. Uh, I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the 1966 Batman movie, and I'll throw in Mononoke, Princess Mononoke. So pop star, Batman, Princess Mononoke. Oh, man. Hmm. That's pretty tough. I think I'm going to go with Princess Mononoke. Fair enough. I, I, I thought you might, since we were talking about it this episode. We were just talking just, about it, and that seems like a fun opposite ends of a potential action thing. I don't really know much oh, about Oh, there's Mononoke. some cool fucking action in Princess Mononoke. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So, yeah, so that seems like two, two, two potentially two opposite ends of, uh, like, action uh, spectrum to yes. go down. So let's go with that. Yeah, all right. So Nemesis and Princess Mononoke uh, that's going to be next week's episode of uh, Mike and Mike Go Out of the Movies. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. It'll be good times. Yes. All right. So we uh, we already found out where we can find you online this week, Mike. Uh, you can find me online. <laughs> oh, yeah. At uh, M. Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film Letterboxd, Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Decretio. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside many other podcasts, but all kinds of comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Next week, Mike Makes Mike Watch, Princess Mononoke, and Nemesis. In the meantime, we're going through every one of Michelle Yeoh's movies for the complete works. And this week, we released our episode on Wing Chun, uh, which is a movie we both really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, fun times. It's been fun. In uh, we find we are we, we're finally out of 1994. Or three? Uh, we, we're we're in 94 now. We're out of 93. Yeah, out of 93, which is very exciting. Yes, that took a while. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, and that is the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side.